Okay, so it's the 29th of May, day 712 of lockdown, and uh, yeah, I'm going to talk about um, uh, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 5, Episode 16, The Body. Uh, if you have not seen this episode of television, it is over 20 years old, <coughs> uh, or roughly 20 years old, I think it's like 2001 actually, uh, 19 years old. Um, <coughs> Uh, and I'm gonna spoil the hell out of it. Like, um. Okay. First of all, the episode starts incredibly. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna do it right into it. Because the episode before this is an episode called I Was Made for Loving You. Which I've talked about before on one of these audio logs. Because it's about one of my favourite subjects. It's about a robot. Uh, so Buffy deals with this robot. It's, it's actually genuinely quite sad. But it's also like, you know. A robot. It's a, silly, it's a kind of silly episode. Whatever. And then she gets home. Her no, okay. For for context, her mum has been suffering. For, uh, her mum had a brain tumor, which was removed earlier on in the season. Uh, it's quite a, it's quite an interesting plot line uh, in a lot of ways because the big thing is it's not a supernatural thing. Therefore, Buffy, who is a vampire, there cannot fight it. Uh, at first she's like, oh, it must be one of my enemies trying to, trying to hurt me through my mom, but it's not. And then there's an episode, like, I think I've mentioned this before, where in order to take out her frustrations, Buffy punches a big snake with arms. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but Buffy's mum, uh, Joyce, is now feeling much better. She's, she's gone on a date. Uh, and when Buffy ri- arrives home, uh, some flowers from said date have arrived. Buffy's had, Buffy's just had to deal with a, a guy who has built a robot girlfriend, uh, and uh, is basically a horrible dude. His name is Warren. Uh, he is one of the worst. Although I, I hear Adam Bush, the actor, is a very nice man. Um, so she reads this note from the the flowers, which is like, "Had a lovely time. Hope to see you again." And she's like, "Oh, someone's getting it right." And she's like, hey, flower getting lady, which I kind of, which I love. I always forget that detail that that's how she, that's a very Buffy speak thing. Hey, flower getting lady. And then she's like, hey, mom. Mom? Then she sees. Out of the corner, right? We've already seen it. This is the thing that the episode does really well. We've already, I say, eh, shit. Oh, well, uh, we've already seen her. Which is, uh, Buffy's mom is just lying completely still on the couch in a very unnatural way like in a way that people don't lie and she's perfectly still and she's out of focus behind Buffy but we still see it and the episode ends with Buffy turning and saying mom mom mommy oof that is how that silly episode of television ends so then the body, the episode, the body starts. Uh, I'll talk. Actually, I'll talk about the um, the first act later, <laughs> last, because uh, there's four acts roughly to the episode. Uh, the second act is all of Buffy's friends banding together because uh, they're going to go and like to meet with Buffy uh, to you know be friends with her. And there's this amazing thing like Willow is struggling to find, figure out what she should wear 
because uh, everything she wears is too cute and colourful and she should be wearing something more sombre. She also talks about this um, blue top that, that Joyce liked that she should wear and she can't find it and she's panicking. And Tara, who is the um, sort of outside, one of the outsiders of the Buffy group, there's another one to be along in a second, uh, and this uh, Will's girlfriend is trying to calm her down. Uh, which leads to the first gay kiss in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I think is such an interesting choice to put it in this episode, right? Because obviously at the time this is coming out, like, so 2001, when it came to, like, gay kisses in network TV shows, they were always done, like, as a gimmick in a sweeps week kind of thing, right? to garner attention you could put them in, you'd put them in your um in your next time and you'd see some salacious footage you'd be like ooh what's happening uh, and this there's no fanfare it's just um a, a woman just two women finding comfort in each other in a really tough time and I think that's genuinely kind of incredible uh, and it's just really sweet and then uh, Xander and Anya show up uh, Xander is like filled with this weird repressed rage which doesn't say repressed with the whole scene uh, which is really fitting for Xander who is a character who is always is the heart of the Buffy thing, uh, thing but he's also the least powerful he's the most human like Willow and Tara are witches Anya's a thousand-year-old ex-demon. Um, Giles can do magic and stuff. Dawn is a magical key. Buffy is literally the Slayer. Previously, they've had Oz, who was a werewolf. Spike, who is a vampire. Angel, who is a vampire. You know, I mean, like, Xander Zand- has a couple of weird things. And at one point, he was a hyena. And at one point, he was a soldier. Because, you know, TV. <laughs> but and he remembers being a soldier, which is like so. Sometimes he has soldier knowledge. But then at one point, there's literally Riley, who is literally a soldier. Um, so he's the one who is least, who's both most and least well equipped to deal with this. Right, the person who's least well equipped actually is Anya, who has this amazing monologue about how she doesn't understand and how no one will tell her. She, she, like, she's, that features the line, Joyce was a nice lady, I liked her, and now she's gone, and it's so sad, and it's punctuated by, uh, Xander punching a hole in the wall, <laughs> I was talking about this with a friend of mine, I was going, is there any comedy moments in this scene, in this whole episode, because, you know, Buffy's got a lot of comedic moments. And she pointed out this scene, and I'm like, re-watching it, I was like, yeah. <laughs> With those responses, you broke the wall. <laughs> Which is just very funny at that moment. It's like, yeah, I kind of did. And she, uh, the scene ends with his hand bleeding and then looking at the blood. Which is really sweet. A really nice moment. Oh, also, uh, a really fun thing that happens at one point, Anya sits down in a chair and reaches under a cushion and pulls out what is definitely the top that Willow was looking for and puts it in a drawer and I just kind of love that little that little moment of 
it's this panic, like they're running from like one hundred room to lorry room, and no, no, we must have lost it, and no, no, this is the old one thing that would make it perfect. And Willow even says a line that I identify with so much. She's looking at her like pastel jumpers, and one is a fuzzy like sweater with a bear on it, and she's like, "Why can't I be a grown up? Why can't I just be a grown up?" So they go and meet Buffy at the hospital. Um, and they're waiting, like, because they're waiting for the coroner's report. And, like, it's really sweet. Like, they all don't know what to do. Buffy doesn't know what to say. And Don especially has no idea what, how to react. Uh, which leads into the fourth fact. But there's a beautiful moment where uh, we find out that Tara, again, one of the outsiders, uh, not long before she appeared in the show, like, probably the year before she appeared in the show, uh, her mum died. And it's this moment where Buffy's like, oh yeah, this is like, because uh, cause Buffy's like, yeah, they're trying to help, but they don't understand, they can't understand, like, she's she's sort of seconds away from saying, no one can understand, and Tara sort of very gently is like, no, I mean, I, I do, <laughs> I get it, and it's this beautiful moment of like, Buffy being like, oh yeah, I'm the one girl in all the world who can, like, fight vampires. That's my whole shtick, even though there's two of her, because of, of an act, a thing that happens. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> you know, those two, two slurs. Uh, she's the one girl in another world that can deal with that. But she's not the one girl in another world who's ever had to deal with losing a loved one, you know? And like, I think that's kind of a beautiful moment where Tara's just like, yeah, no, it sucks. But, you know, you're not alone. It's kind of amazing. And then the final act is uh, the one part of the show that I think I, st- I struggle with, the one part of this episode. Uh, Don goes to go and look at uh, the body. Uh, again, I'm com- coming back to that first act because it's the best part. And uh, it's uh, attacked by a vampire in a coroner's office. It's really odd, especially because there's a whole thing going for the whole episode where there's no music. Um, so usually when a vampire attacks, it's like a do 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 kind of musical build. And this vampire just gets up off of a slab, goes and attacks Don. Buffy comes in, kills him. Uh, during the fight, they actually pull the uh, sheet off of Joyce's body. And they both see her. The episode ends with them both seeing her. And then both crying. It feels so unnecessary for there to be an actual vampire in this episode. I kind of get it. And the idea that, you know... Like, it's not that, like the idea that the vampire slaying isn't going to wait for her grief. She's still got to do her job, right? And her job is protecting Dawn and fighting vampires. Those are her two jobs. Um, especially now, the first part especially now, because she's going to have to look after Dawn herself. But it just feels really weird and unnecessary. And the vampire is because he's been lying on a slab and like looks like he's had an autopsy on him. It's just a really weird looking naked vampire, and I don't like it. I do not like it at all. What I do love is the is the first act of the episode, which so she sees this, she sees the body, and then we cut to the credits. And after the credits, we see a thanks like a it's not I think it's not a Thanksgiving dinner. I think it's just dinner of everyone being happy and Joyce laughing, and it cuts a hard cuts back to Joyce on the couch. 
Buffy uh, tries to like shake her awake, it doesn't work, so she phones an ambulance. She phones 911, who reminds her uh, to do uh, CPR. Uh, which is a, a point that sticks with Buffy Frazier, so she's like, oh, I didn't even remember to do it until I was told. Which I think is a very sort of believable thing. You're like, oh yeah, that is obviously the thing you should do, but that's not necessarily the thing you do do when confronted with a, a horrible situation. And then there's a point in this phone call that she's making where Buffy sort of goes, oh, she's cold. And the 911 operator says, oh, the body is cold. And Buffy responds, no, no, my mother. The episode is called The Body, right? And it's very much based on, like, Joss Whedon, who wrote and directed it, and other people who he talked to, their their um, experiences with death. I believe Joss had lost his own mother, and that's hence, the, hence the, this episode existing at all. That one exchange, and it's, it's highlighted, of course it's highlighted by the thing, and it gets highlighted again, and it's highlighted by the name of the episode. It's such a, uh, an incredible uh, use of language to express exactly what's happening here. Like, Buffy is used to dealing with supernatural threats, right? She's got no problem throwing around the word vampire or apocalypse or these things. But when confronted with this situation, the woman on the other end of the phone is like, oh, is using the language that she uses, right? She's like, oh, the body is cold. Okay. As far as I think at this moment, at this point, the one operator is pretty sure that she is dead. Right? I think that's generally... I'm not a doctor, so don't quote me on this. I think by the time the body is cold, it's usually too late. Uh, but she's and she's just using her language that she knows around this. Buffy, point blank, refuses her language. She corrects her and says, "No, my mother." Then proceeds to do CPR and uh, uh, like and jo- uh, jo- Joyce wakes up uh, and it's like we we smash cut to them heading to the hospital. Everyone arrives. And everyone's like, oh, thank God you really got there in time. Uh, everything's going to be okay. And it cuts off. And we cut back to the reality. Uh, Buffy tells the woman on the phone that she's not breathing. And then the woman on the phone tells her that the paramedics will be there very soon. Buffy hangs up, <laughs> hangs up and says, Buffy says, I've got, I have to go. Uh and hangs up and she just stares at Joyce for a minute phones Giles and tells him he has to he has to he has to come around uh, he doesn't explain what's happening so then that wanders through to the back room uh, and froze up which is a perfectly valid reaction goes and gets some air comes out and then froze a uh, a towel over the uh, over her uh, sick. This whole thing where she's trying to sort of keep some sort of normalcy, like she tries to clean up after herself. Like nobody expects her to do that, but she's she does. 
and more importantly, Joyce Woods, right? And then, yeah, so the, uh, during this, the coroners arrive, uh, and they do, uh, they do like uh, proper CPR, and then, but it's too late, and they have to call it. Uh, one of the one of the um, paramedics. Sorry, I said Cardinals. One of the paramedics. Uh, There's an amazing shot where she's, he's talking to Buffy, and we can hear what he's saying, but Buffy isn't looking at his mouth. Like she's looking past his shoulder, so he's not framed properly. Like that happens several points for the for the episode. There's a point where she's talking to the doc the doctor at the coroner's office, at the like at the coroner's uh, in the hospital, and she's not really paying attention to what he's saying and that's a common that's a, such a common situation and such a well done way of showing that idea that your focus is just not there you know you're a, you're, you're you're a million miles away and it's a beautiful way of showing that on television it's just it's just an incredible episode of television for so many reasons the the, mo- the biggest of which like i talked about how those the music isn't there, so the sounds are really well done. Uh, the shots are kind of beautiful. Like there's some really art housey like shots, like the shot, like when the four friends leave to go and visit to go and see Buffy at the at the um, hospital. We see them walk out of the room, and the camera stays in the room and goes to the window where they're going out. We don't like see them get in the car or anything, but we know that that's what's happening. It's just a really sort of like it's got a really good sense of. A moment in time, but the thing that makes this episode absolutely incredible is one of the things that makes Buffy incredible is Sarah Michelle Gellar, who is so, so good in this episode that it blows my mind that she wasn't nominated for an Emmy and didn't win an Emmy. I know that's not the Emmy's work, uh, but she's so good in this episode. She's so good for like, the whole series. Like when, if you ever rewatch Buffy. The thing you notice more than well, like when I was a kid, I didn't really realize that. But the more I rewatch it, the more I'm like, she's genuinely having to carry this whole show on her back, uh, and her performance is so good. She's funny. She's dramatic when she needs to be. Uh, she's such such an engaging performer. And in this episode, uh, more than any other, she's just devastating. So the, car, the paramedics say, look, there's nothing we could do. I've called the coroner. They'll be allowed to pick up the body. Again, they say that word. And make sure, don't move her. Um, uh, is there anyone you can call? Like, I've already called someone. It's like, okay, cool. I think this is when she then goes to be sick, actually, is that at that moment. And then, yes, it is, because she's looking down at the sick being covered up by the tail when Giles comes in. And Giles has no idea what's going on because Buffy's uh, message to her him was incomplete. Because of course it was. She didn't know what to say. And uh, Giles runs to help Giles. Because of course he does. That's what he does. He tries to protect Buffy. He tries to help. That is his job. He's her surrogate father, you know? Him and Joyce had a you know, a, a, a close relationship, sometimes fueled by chocolate that made that makes them have sex under the hood of cop cars. Uh, genuine thing that happens in the show. <laughs> uh, 
and he goes to help her and Buffy loses it and she shouts oh god see this is the thing <laughs> I, w I deliberately watched this episode because I knew it would get me while distracting myself like I was tidying up the living room and I was uh, um, like separating out cardboard for uh, recycling and this line still got me is Buffy is like no don't 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 and then screams we're not supposed to move the body God, even just um, genuinely even just talking about that moment God, really gets me uh, it's the way it's delivered it's the fact that that's the moment right that's the moment where she goes hey we're not, she doesn't say we're not supposed to move my mom she says we're not supposed to move the body I um, had been putting off re-watching this episode for two reasons. One of which is the global pandemic that we're living in and the lockdown we're living in is already a really tough and stressful time. There's a lot of death all, all around us, you know? Uh, and it's, it's fiction is usually meant to be an escape, an escape <laughs> rather than a reminder. Although, as I found out before, I, I, I happen to keep getting like watching or playing things that are about uh pandemics um, and another big reason is that i haven't rewatched this episode um in about three or four years uh since my grand died um and i didn't know how i would react um, I've had, I've been, I've been lucky in a way, I don't know how to, I'm never sure how to talk about this, but uh, like both of my parents are still with us, still with us. I have my, my brothers are healthy, you know, uh, I have however lost all four of my grandparents, uh, the first three well, certainly the first two, I was way too young to understand what was happening. And the third, uh, like, uh, the thing that always got me is I was always much sadder for my parents than I was for me. Like, I remember at my dad's dad's funeral, I, I was devastated for him. And again, for my mum's mum's funeral, same, same thing. Like, it was them that I was sad for, not myself, really. I didn't, like, I understood, well, I actually wasn't, I, actually, uh, I wasn't at, I was at my, my mum's dad's wake, but not the funeral, because I was too young, and I was at my dad's dad's funeral, that was the first one I was at, the first funeral I'd been at, and we have, like, uh, my dad's side of the family is very large, so there's a lot of people around, and my mum's side of the family is very, sort of, connected in the community, very loved in the community, so there's a lot of people around. But my gran, my mum's mum, uh, that one was, that one was really hard. Um, partially because, and this is like, it's so weird, it's like, I, I, you know, you don't, you don't rank these things, 
but partially it's just because I was more of a a, a, a full human um, when when she died. I had had longer to get to know her, um, especially longer as an adult, as somebody who understood what life and death were, and also, um, like when uh, um, when I was struggling uh, financially and uh, was trying to move to Edinburgh but couldn't find a flat and stuff and was basically homeless because I'd, I'd given up my flat in Stirling. I couldn't live there anymore. And my granddad allowed me to live with her for, six, for like six months. <laughs> you know, it was just like no questions asked. Like she was just like, yeah, of course. Um, and we got close then. We were always, we were always close. Yeah, and she, uh, and she died. Um, she'd been ill for a while. Very and ve- with various issues, which she would tell you about in great detail. <laughs> uh, and she'd been living in a care home, and uh, for a while, which where I never visited her enough. You know, it was just, of course, I didn't, because you never can, right? And it's always looking back that you go, yeah, I didn't visit her well enough. But she was always really happy to see us, although she was never really happy, you know, because she didn't like to be a burden, and she didn't like being cooped up, but she had to be for her health reasons, um, like her health had deteriorated. Also, calling her was um, <laughs> a nightmare because uh, she needed a hearing aid, which she wouldn't wear. <laughs> Um, um, or she would she keep, she'd keep adjusting it to the point where it wouldn't work. Uh, again, part of this is because she didn't want to be burdened. She didn't want to be someone who wore a hearing aid, you know. So calling her was always just a sense of like <laughs> me shouting, "Hey, Gran, Gran!" And her going, "No, it's no use. I can't hear you." And then hanging up. Um, the day she died, she'd been in hospital. And myself, uh, and my brother, and my aunt went to see her. Like that day, I, people often people had seen her throughout the week. And we'd went to see her, and we just sort of had, had sat down and had a chat with her. And she was in good spirits. She was laughing as much as she could. And uh, then we went to dinner. Then I went home, and I found out that while we were at that dinner, uh, she had passed. I find that so interesting, is not the right word, um, odd, I guess, that it's kind of touching that our family and our lives just go on while hers stopped. Like, we went for a nice meal, we chatted, we talked about Gran. And as that was happening, she moved on. The thing that really gets me 
And this is the thing about grief. Grief is different for everybody. And uh, uh, my grief about my gran has been punctuated by one major issue for me. And it's a selfish issue, I think. But also a totally understandable one. At the time that my gran died, I was out to myself as a trans woman. But I wasn't out to my family or publicly. So the last time I saw my gran, I knew this huge thing about myself, and she didn't. And of course, she never will. I mean, depending on your your views on uh, spirituality and religion, um, if, if all of that's true, then she does know, because she's looking down. But if it's not, then she never will. And I always wonder, like, what would she think? And I think I know, actually. I think she'd be confused. But wouldn't allow that to stop her from loving me. That's a very common reaction. <laughs> it's a reaction you get from family a lot. And I totally understand it. It's like, oh, I don't understand this thing, but it doesn't stop me from loving you. And I'm pretty sure that's what she would think. I knew it would get heavy when I, I talked about this episode of the television and I, f I had a feeling I, I would uh, let him talk about my gran. I wasn't sure if I would, but I thought I might. So, I brought an emergency backup uh, topic to lighten the mood. <clears throat> of course, like, the red M&M knows Scott is home. Like, when a yellow M&M comes out of the cupboard, it's like, Scott's home early. It's because Scott is in the room. Like Scott is standing in the room. They have had a conversation. And I get the yellow's meant to be the stupid one. But this is a level of stupid that doesn't make sense. <laughs> he he literally is pointing at Scott when he says Scott's home early. He he can see that there is an eye line between Red and Scott. What Also, did Red say right, wait in the closet and tell me if Scott comes home early? Because what did he think was going to happen? The only time Yellow could see Scott is when Scott is already in the room. Like, have Yellow be at the door with some sort of, like, maybe he's, I don't know if they have an drive. Uh, have him in a car watching and he can, like, honk, like, like two short, two short bursts, one long burst. Tell them that Scott is coming home early. If the possibility of Scott coming home early is known to them, which it seems to be, they have a better system. Right? Like, it's no use having a lookout who is in the room that you need the person to look out beforehand. Oh, um, he, here's the thing as well. <laughs> the tagline to this uh, advert, and I think it's a tagline to a lot of evidence adverts, but the tagline to this advert, I believe, is always fun. What? <laughs> it's, oh, it's always fun when you're interrupted 
uh, <laughs> in bed with the partner of this guy. What's always fun in this situation? <laughs> Tricking an Eminem into bed to eat him? Uh, arranging a threesome with your partner and an Eminem? Being eaten? Watching someone being? What part of this is always fun? I... <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going to get to the bottom of there's two, a couple of things. One, the mysteries of life and death. And two, this fucking has <laughs> um, So yeah, um, stay home. Stay safe. Stay well. Uh, stay in touch with your loved ones. And uh, if if you haven't watched Buffy by now, and I've just spoiled one of the biggest episodes, man, just go and watch it. It's so good, and you've you've got plenty of time. My name has been Marjorie. Thank you so much, and goodbye. <laughs>